Good morning. Over the past few weeks here in New Heights, we've been looking at heroines in the Old Testament. We looked at Rahab and Ruth and Sarah. And this morning we turn to Deborah, chapter 4 of the book of Judges, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of God. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagavim. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abimanon, from Kedesh in the Falti, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you ten thousand men of Nephalti and Zebulon, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said. I will go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past week, I watched bits and pieces of the NBA Finals between the Boston Celtics and the L.A. Lakers. And as a Spurs fan, I was grateful to see that Boston took down uh, the Lakers. But to be honest with you, thank you. (laughs) But to be honest with you, watching the NBA Finals is nowhere near as fun as watching the Super Bowl. Because even if the Super Bowl is a bad game, at least the commercials are entertaining. And, you know, there have been some memorable commercials over the years, have there not the Englishman who reaches out uh, the window to offer Grey Poupon mustard to a complete stranger, or Michael Jordan and Larry Bird playing a game of horse for McDonald's Big Mac, or uh, frogs on lily pads chanting Budweiser. Uh, there's certainly been some memorable nim- images over the years, uh, but I was reminded this past spring that not all memorable commercials make their debut during the Super Bowl. For according to analysts, you and I, last March in April, witnessed one of the most talked about and analyzed commercials of all time, the red phone ad. You may remember it. Your kids are tucked in bed. Because of our increasingly dangerous world, you're asleep, and at 3 a.m., a phone rings in the White House. Who do you want answering the phone? A question everybody was talking about, from amateur bloggers to seasoned newscasters to Republicans to Democrats. Because of nuclear weapons and terrorism, who is a voter? 
Do I want to answer the phone in the White House at 3 a.m.? An interesting question, I suppose. A question that I really believe the nation of Israel had to ask. Because here's what's going on. The commander of the Canaanite army, his name was Sisera, had 900 iron chariots and could annihilate the Israelite army at just about any time. And so it was a time of impending crisis, a crucial juncture in the history of Israel and their foreign policy. And they had to ask themselves, who do we want answering the phone at 3 a.m.? And for the nation of Israel, the answer was clear. It would not be Hillary Clinton or John McCain or Barack Obama, but a leader far greater. Her name was Deborah, the prophetess. The only woman in all of Scripture who gained the height of political power by being elected by her people. One of the greatest leaders of all time. If you're unfamiliar with Deborah, let me just briefly share with you her story. With Sisera and the army flexing their muscles, Deborah, who led Israel at the time, called on her military commander, his name was Barak, and said, I want you to take 10,000 men and take down Sisera and the Canaanite army. And Barak says to her, okay, but only if you go with me. Deborah says, all right, Barak, I'll go with you, but you need to know when we win this battle, the honor will go to a woman. And sure enough, fate would have it, God hands the enemy over to Deborah. And God honors her courage. The nation of Israel would go on to honor her courage as well. They wrote a song about her in Judges chapter 5, kind of a recapping her incredible leadership. But what was it that made Deborah such an amazing leader? Well, was it her resume? I don't believe so. Deborah was a woman, which in that culture limited a lot of what she could do. I don't think necessarily it was her resume. Well, was it her lineage in some sort of royal family? Was she a Clinton or a Kennedy or, you know, kin to Princess Diana or something? I don't think so. If you read about her husband, Lapidoth, who's also in Scripture, we know from history that he was a relatively obscure person in the middle class of Israel at the time. So I don't really think it was her position in a royal line either. So what was it? about Deborah that made her such an amazing leader. I believe it was because she had the uncanny ability to earn the respect and trust of her followers. Now, I venture to say as I look out here that we have a number of leaders amongst us in uh, this worship service today. I don't know whether you lead a classroom or a family or you, you lead a business or you manage people at work. Or I, I would venture to say you're in leadership in some capacity. I also know that the topic of leadership is of great interest today. If you look at the expanse of leadership literature out there right now, it really is amazing. Uh, from the leadership secrets of Abraham Lincoln uh, to uh, the leadership secrets of uh, all sorts of political leaders to the leadership secrets of Bobby Knight. I mean, if it's out there, you can read it. So what I want to do 
for you all this morning is to just take a step back from this scripture and ask, well, what was it that made Deborah such an incredible leader? What insights can we gain, uh, glean from her about how she earned the respect and the trust of her followers? I have three observations. And the first is this. I believe Deborah understood that her best credential for leadership was her heart. Let me explain. Before Deborah became the leader of Israel, she worked as a prophetess. And the role of a prophetess in Israel was twofold. It was to listen to the voice of God and then to respond to that voice by speaking into the lives of people. And so what people in Israel would do is they would come by Deborah, who sat under a palm tree uh, with their disputes. And Deborah, with great sensitivity, would listen to them, would listen to the voice of God, and then speak into their lives. So she would be much like, uh, in today's system of law, like an arbiter. And over time, the people began to really respect her and really trust her because they knew that she was listening to her. And the words that she spoke were, were very sensitive words and clearly... She cared enough to earn the respect and trust of her followers. For surely it wasn't her resume why the people followed her, nor was it her credentials or even her title. At the end of the day, what the people followed in Deborah was her heart. So what does this mean? I think it is of great consequence for leadership in the 21st century. Here's why. I was reading the other day that I am part of Generation Y, which is between the ages of 22 and 34. And what the sociologists have been reading about Generation Y is they come to leaders with a great suspicion of authority. Reason being, Generation Y has lived through a number of different leadership scandals which are all fresh in their mind. For example, when it comes to business, they've lived through Enron. It's fresh in their mind. When it comes to politics, they've lived through scandal in the White House. It's fresh in their mind. When it comes to sports, they've lived through steroids and baseball. It's fresh on their mind. When it comes to religion, they've lived through the recent scandal of the priesthood in the Catholic Church. And what I'm learning about this is that as a leader in the 21st century, no longer will my formal authority or my title or my credentials or my experience be sufficient for attaining followers in this age. Because I think what Generation Y is looking for is something underneath the diploma. I think they want to see the right type of heart. As the writer of Proverbs once said, Guard the heart with due diligence, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. Just the other day, I was reading about uh, D. Hawk. He was the leading founder and CEO of Visa. And they asked him, as a leader, how do you like to spend your time? And he said, I spend 20% of my time uh, with those who are above me, my board of directors, etc. I spend 20% of my time with the executives who surround me. And then I spend 10% of my time leading those who are below me. Because what I've learned is the most important thing I can do is to spend 50% of my time leading my own self. Being attentive to my heart. 
So as a leader, I think it's important to ask ourselves the question, look, is our heart full of anger or is it full of love? Is it full of pessimism or is it full of joy? Is it full of jealousy or is it full of peace? Is it full of snap judgment or is it full of patience? Is it full of greed or is it full of generosity? Is it full of pride or is it full of Jesus? Guard the heart with due diligence, said the writer of Proverbs, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. I think Deborah really got that. Her leadership would come from having the right kind of heart. That was her best credential for leadership. And then my second observation about Deborah would be this. Her leadership was amazingly unselfish. And the reason why I know this, if you look back in Scripture into Judges chapter 5, the Israelites write this song about her, and the way they refer to Deborah is as the mother of Israel. As if to say, she took care of us. She was there. She was present for us. She considered our interests to be important. The Apostle Paul once said about Jesus that he considered the interests of others to be more important than his own. Again, I wonder if the same couldn't be said about Deborah. Reading a few days ago, uh, a book by Jim Collins called Good to Great. You may have read it. It's a book on leadership out there. It's been in the bestseller list for uh, a couple of years now. And in the book, he distinguishes between what he calls four-star and five-star leaders. And he says for four-star leaders, uh, what characterizes them is that their greatness or their success simply ends with them. So the way you measure uh, uh, a four-star leader is by saying how well is the leader doing? A five-star leader, on the other hand, we generally don't hear a lot about because they have put their vision, their cause, and their followers above themselves. I think that was Deborah. I think she was a five-star leader. I think about my own life, and I think about the leaders that I've followed, and one in particular really stands out. I, I think it would be a very tough to give you one sentence about him that would somehow uh, encapsulate everything he is to me as a leader. The other day I was reading a book uh, by Richard Phillips, and there was a sentence in that book that I really do think speaks to his life. This is what Phillips said. He said, the mark of a great leader is when a follower sees in him or her something that they love more than their own ambition." whether it's a vision, whether it's a cause. I know in my case that's something I saw in that leader more than my own ambition that I loved was God. And I really wonder if the same couldn't be said about Deborah because even after she won that impressive battle, the first person she came to thank was God. I think she was an amazingly unselfish leader. Deborah knew that her greatest credential for leadership would be her heart. Deborah also was unselfish. And then third and finally, Deborah as a leader was willing to go to a place that she didn't necessarily want to go. Barack asked her, well, will you go to the front lines with me? And I don't think Deborah would really want to go there. But she decides that on behalf of her people, she will go there. She is not going to fight this battle from her office 
Rather, she's going to accompany Barak to the front lines to win this battle. You know, I thought about that, and I thought about Deborah, and it reminded me of a scripture from the Old Testament. When Jesus tells Peter, who had just been commissioned as a shepherd, as a leader, that he's going to have to go to places he might not want to go, uh, Jesus tells him, Peter, when you were younger, you put on your belt all by yourself, and you were able to go wherever you wanted. But now, as you have grown older, someone else will lead you to places you may not necessarily want to go. As if Jesus is telling Peter, who's just been commissioned as a leader, look, if you want to be a servant leader, you're going to have to go to unknown, undesirable, and sometimes painful places on behalf of your people. Are you willing to go to the place of the front lines in a world that prefers safety? Are you willing to go to that lonely place of character In a world that prefers corruption, are you willing to go to a place of need in a world full of riches? Are you willing to go to a place of humility in a world full of honors? Are you willing to go to a place of love in a world full of competition? I would pray on behalf of you and on behalf of your followers that we would be willing to go to some of those difficult and undesirable places. For as Henry Nouwen once wrote, Christians spend a whole lot of time thinking about the upward mobility of this world, but the interest that they've invested in that never yields the full joy and peace of God. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Look, I used to think God's gifts were on shelves, one above the other, and that the taller I grew in Christian leadership, the more I could reach them. But now I'm starting to realize that God's gifts are on shelves, one below the other. And it's no longer a matter of growing taller, but of stooping lower to receive some of God's greatest gifts. If you're a leader and you find yourself jockeying for power or grasping Yeah, every now and again, you may find peace and joy sustained for a brief moment. But until you move to that bottom shelf, will you find the joy and peace that is not of this world? Amen. Let us pray. Great and gracious God, I thank you for the gifts of the many leaders that have gone before us. For Moses, for Joshua, for Deborah. For Jesus, I thank you for the examples that they give us. And I thank you also, Lord, for the privilege of leadership. And I ask God as shepherds that we might look after our flocks, see other people, not in a competition, but for the child of God that they are. And that you would also help us, Lord, to move downward with you on the cross so that the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, may flow out of our hearts, the hearts that we have protected with due diligence. I ask God that as we go back into your world, that you would shower us with your protection, that you would bring us peace and the joy from coming to know that Jesus is our rock and our redeemer and our hope, both in this life and in the one to come. Amen.